Notes from the Upper West Side, a novel by Dan Wrench. Chapter 78, That Laugh-Like Sound. My phone call with Cammy was scheduled for late in the night on the day before fuck day two, and on that same day, only earlier, I had my regular session with Jessica. Originally, the Caminator wanted me to call her in the afternoon at like three, but my routine meant that at three I'd be on a bus somewhere and probably with Sammy. So I texted Cammy back after thinking about it and rescheduled our call for that night, late, which meant I'd have to make the call from work somehow. Cammy texted back two hours later. NP, it said. I had to search the internet to find out NP meant no problem. So when I got up that morning, I was really looking forward to both the phone call with Cammy and the session with Jessica. I'd wanted to see Jessica pretty bad ever since that time when she told me even squares go to the gym. She'd been on vacation with her husband, a.k.a. the Hubster. They went to Hawaii. They probably fucked in a lanai. They probably felt the warm breeze drifting in from the ocean. Assholes. So she hadn't seen me since I started my metamorphosis from pauncher to demigod. I thought I might get an amazed look from her when she saw the new me and heard about my ability to hold it back in the home stretch. A look that would bring the bedroll fantasy just a little bit closer to the real world. The other reason I wanted to see her was to spit it out about the bell ringing thing. That thing that has no word but which is named by me with a mental image of my cock as a candle wick, reaching to the top of my head, and the special dimension of sex-ness, where love and fucking are the same thing. It was good to get it all out, I guess, but she pretty much shot me down on both counts. She didn't look even slightly amazed when she saw the new me. I guess I hadn't lost enough weight yet for her to notice the bulky boy muscles. And the part about holding it back in the home stretch? When I heard my voice telling her about it, I realized it didn't sound even slightly like a grown-up achievement. It sounded like I wanted a gold star for getting regular blowjobs from a midtown chambermaid. So I backed up a little and told her I could now control my orgasms and get these big stiff rods. I told her that fucking Fern's face was just a means to that end. I'm training myself, I cried. I furrowed my brow like a scientist. She seemed to understand what I was getting at, but she was still not what you would call amazed. And she was a little critical of my bell-ringing sexness idea. She didn't sigh or roll her eyes or anything, but she at first didn't believe me when I said I thought it up all by myself. I was a little insulted by that. And at the same time, I was a little flattered. Weird, right? I think you're talking about erotic ecstasy, she said. There are many cultures, historically, that have regarded the erotic as the essence of love rather than as something to be transcended by love. Nah, I said. She looked a little surprised. 
I'm not saying nah to the history thing or the culture thing I said real quick. I was only saying nah to the word ecstasy. It just seems a little abstract and girlified. This concept I'm cooking up, it's full of dick. This thing you're calling sexness, the image of the wig or the ringing bell, that seems more concrete then? Yeah, I said. I like the ringing bell more and more because the clapper is the dick and the bell itself is the brain. I want to say something like soul, but that sounds too abstract and girlified. I was going to say it sounds too Jesus-y, but something like soul, the totality of moi. I gig cackled. <laughs> That laugh-like sound you make is a defense mechanism, she said while she smiled at me. You don't need to defend yourself from me. This is your session. That laugh-like sound I make, fucking therapist. Well, you seem to have thought this through very thoroughly, she said, and to be honest, I didn't expect that from you. So this is a very special girl? Why do you suppose that's so? Fuck if I knew why. Now that I think about it, maybe it was because she framed her cunt at me on that first day we met. I'd never had a chick frame her cunt at me before, but back when Jessica asked me, I was still pretty miffed at her calling the gig cackle a laugh-like sound. So I kind of forgot about the cunt framing. I stumbled around looking for an answer for a few seconds when I noticed she had the I'd love to interrupt you, but it's against my personal creed look on her face. What's up, Jessica? I asked. You look like you're on the verge of blurting. Man, I wanted a cigarette. You know, she said, you've been married a long time. Really? Ten years is a long time? Well, it's more than seven. And when people are in relationships that long, I don't even mean marriages necessarily. There are partners. Friends who spend a lot of time together, business associates even. There can be the death of a thousand cuts, I like to call it. Death of a thousand cuts. You made that up? She gave me a little grin and narrowed her eyes slightly. You know, she went on, you meet someone and you make a little tiny compromise one day. Not so much that you'd notice. The next day she calls you a little tiny insulting name or condescends to you or suggests to you that you're not very attractive to her or that you're in some way intrinsically silly. Not so much that you'd care, not so much that it affects your self-esteem on the first day, week, or month. But over time, over the course of years, you find yourself thinking that you're ugly, ungainly, undeserving of sexual pleasure and living with a person who needles you like a sibling or an ego-policing parent. And it all began with that little cut you barely noticed years earlier. I wasn't gig-cackling anymore. She had just described the last ten years with my cunt of a someone else's cocksucking wife. Then it hit me. She wasn't talking about me and Corinne. She was talking about herself and the hubster. I guess that vacation to Hawaii was something of a reckoning. 
Maybe she formulated this whole thousand cuts theory on the flight back from Oahu. I must have looked depressed or downcast or mortified even because she stopped herself mid-lecture and said, I'm not putting the blame on Corinne or on you. She might be feeling the same way, in fact. Whoa, 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 I said. Has she been running this thousand cuts grift on Wayne about me? Paul, she said. She was kind of stern, like I just called her a cunt or something. This is a theory. It is not a grift. Yeah, well, my laugh-like sound, it's a laugh. She sighed like I really was the evil customer at a bodega. All right, I understand. I did not mean to question the validity of your laugh. I'm certain I could have found better words with which to express myself. Okay, thousand cuts is not a grift, I said, but has Junior been running this theory on Wayne about me? Do you really think Wayne and I compare notes? That we discuss you and Corinne? Well, I don't know, I said. Why not? Paul. She seemed more shocked than angry. Firstly, it would be thoroughly unethical. Secondly, it would contaminate our analyses. Oh yeah, I said, sure. Notes from the Upper West Side is a work of fiction. The people depicted in this work do not exist. Notes from the Upper West Side. Copyright 2021 by Dan Wrench.